The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, let me tell you about one of our sponsors, Draft. If you love fantasy baseball, then you need to try our new favorite app called Draft. It's daily fantasy baseball, but not like the other guys. On Draft, you play live snake drafts with other people just like in your season-long league. Drafts last just for one night. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Just set it and forget it. And the best part, you play for cold, hard cash and get paid out the next day. Drafts start from just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. Trust me, I love playing drafts. I play golf. I play NFL, basketball. You can play um, three. Uh, you can play head-to-head, three-man, six-man. There's, there's running leagues. You win one night. It keeps going for four, five, six nights. You can play a dream team. There's all kinds of great ways to play draft, and you can join me today. Just search draft in your app store or, or play right from your computer on draft.com. And when you enter promo code SD Sports. You got to enter the promo code SD Sports. You get a free entry into a real money baseball draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code SD Sports. That's right. Playing a real money game for free just for using the promo code SD Sports when you make your first deposit. Just again, search draft in your app store or go to draft.com and enter the promo code SD Sports. Now to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 107. Going to talk some fantasy baseball tonight. And in order to do so, I'm joined by a special guest. You can find him on Twitter, at Patrick FWO. You can find him and his cohorts doing a fan tracks podcast every week, talking fantasy baseball. Pat D, how are we doing, man? I'm good, man. How's everything going? Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's good. It's good. It's good to talk some baseball. Um, I, I sadly admitted on my last podcast that 
I'm having to talk a little football now because that's the time of year it is. And I, and, and I do play football, so I enjoy it. But baseball is always my passion. So I, uh, I, I much more prefer these podcasts, even though I do them all because that's what we do. But, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me. I'm looking forward to this quite a bit. Um, I'll ask you some fun questions, actually. First, how are you liking the podcast game over there at Fantrax? You guys got a lot of cool stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of content going on, and it's not just podcasts. It's articles, um, you know, and we're all over the map. Uh, we got guys doing pro football. We got guys doing college football. Um, we've got an excellent basketball podcast as well. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're all over the map, and we've got a lot of great content. You guys should come check it out. My podcast, Fantasy World Order, is probably the, uh, you know, the lower end of the spectrum. <laughs> But, you know, we're, we're hanging in there. You know, we try to give you guys some good stuff. And the one thing I tell everybody, it's, it doesn't matter what level you think you're at. As long as you're consistent, you'll build a following, and that's all that matters, and that's what you guys do. And you do it very, very well. So uh, thank you. That, thank you. that is all that matters. We, we can't all have the, uh, you know, the Rob Silvers of the world and everything on our shows. Just It doesn't work in our favor that way sometimes. <laughs> um, but the other question I wanted to ask you, and it came to me about an hour ago, I, I, I massively appreciate the FWO. I, I massively appreciate the uh, the gift you sent out earlier of the New World Order. Are you an old school wrestling fan? Are you old school and new school? Because obviously, for those that don't understand, FWO is a thing off of NWO. Uh, how, what, what are you in the wrestling spectrum of things? Uh, I am both an old school and a current fan. Um, like most pro wrestling fans, I have had down times before, but uh, I'm, I'm back in, you know, I, I watch raw pretty much every week. Um, and you know, the NWO is just, it was, it was the peak of wrestling for me. So yeah, that we, uh, myself and, and Nick, my co-host are big time wrestling guys, Joe, not really, but you know, he's along for the ride. So I, I love it. Cause I, I was hardcore into it as I grew up all the way till I guess I stopped maybe into high school, early college, but NWO was big. I remember having the the cutoff sleeve NWO shirt, but with the red NWO, like the Wolf Pack. I, I was I was all in on that stuff. Um, I, I keep telling myself I want to watch the new stuff, and I'll I'll, I'll peek at it once in a while. And I just haven't gone all in yet. Is it, is it worth going all in on this? Uh, this it's, it, it's not the same. Like I, I watched the Raw Anniversary Edition, and I like had flashbacks to my youth. Yeah, it's. It's pretty lean right now. I mean, in-ring quality is is very very high. The matches are great. Um, the the promos are not as good. The storytelling is not as good. Um, it's not a great time to to get back into it. I think at this point, a few years ago when Daniel Bryan and CM Punk were having their rises, I would have told you, yeah, it's it's pretty good. But it, it's sort of in a lull right now, in my opinion. Okay, well, I'll, I'll hold out hope it comes back because I, I did enjoy it quite a bit, and I love UFC. I love all that kind of stuff, so I can uh, definitely appreciate it. But let's talk some fantasy baseball. Yeah, now that we got to, to now that we got to know you a little bit more and talk a little bit. Let's talk some fantasy baseball. And before we get into some player analysis and whatnot, you know, we're about a ninety-five, hundred games into the season, depending on your team. So we're we're definitely over the halfway point, but in theory, it's the second half of the season, and. The crappy thing about baseball, especially if like in a roto league or something, there's a good chance you know if you have a chance or you don't. And if you in that middle ground, well, it's up to you to, to make it happen. 
how do you like approach the second half of a season? Let's start out first. Say you're in the lead and you want to hold that lead. Do you go like bottom feeding on some guys on the on the bottom of the standings? Are you aggressive in the way? How do you approach your team to, to stay on top? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the first thing is is exactly what you pointed out, which is this is all about context. Context is king right here. Um, you know, you're looking at your format. You're looking at your place in the standings. I mean, if it's a different strategy um, when you go from roto to head-to-head categories, to head-to-head points. You know, if you've got playoffs, if you don't have playoffs, things change across the formats. But generally speaking, if, if I'm in a position where I've gotten myself an advantage, if I'm towards the top of the standings, I'm certainly looking at the bigger names, but I'm not – looking to shake the foundation of my team. Um, the team has put itself together in theory, has, has produced at this point. And um, provided there are no, you know, anomalies in there or, or severe regression candidates, you know, I, I think that you might do more damage if you make a big move than, you know, actually add to the foundation that you've developed. Now, with respect to identifying regression candidates, I've sort of developed this exercise um, where right around this time of year, around the all-star break, where there's not really, you know, anything sports-wise, you know, I I will put in into a spreadsheet uh, my guys' statistical lines, you know, all my players, I'll put them in in random order. I'll step away from it for 24 hours to, you know, try and um, separate myself from it. And then I'll go back and I'll look at it and try and identify my regression candidates, the guys that maybe I do want to sell high on. Um, And I think that that's a useful exercise because if you just put the lines in without the names, um, you're sort of giving yourself a blind resume to look at and you're separating yourself from what the player has done. I mean, we all are guilty of this. We all have players that produce for us. We draw attachments to them. um, And then fair to really judge them fairly like they, we can't we can't separate ourselves from what they've done for us I mean for instance I, I picked up Matt Kemp in my home league early on this year uh, he's had an excellent first half um, you know and, and unexpectedly um, hit well over 315 bombs tons of RBIs etc and while I don't expect him to fall off completely I mean he's sporting a 390 something BABIP I believe at this point and that's going to come down. And then you have the injury risk element that comes inherent in Matt Kemp. So I think that's a useful strategy and a useful tool for identifying regression candidates and maybe guys that you do want to move on from. But I'm more focused on shoring up the bottom of my roster um, because I think the depth is important and it's easier to acquire depth. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um are say, say roto or you can even go head to head points in theory. Um, are you maybe willing to, since we have a less of a season to go sell kind of a, a bigger name guy, a guy, you know, still gonna be very good to really fill the need of a say you need saves or steals, which usually you don't try to trade for, but if you can go get a guy that's going to get you a bunch of that in these last couple of months, would you sell a guy that you know is going to be consistently good in like four categories but you're locked up in those four categories. Is that another approach you can take kind of analyzing this set of the season? I, I think that's a, a roto 
specific strategy. I mean, for instance, you know, lots of points leagues don't value steals that highly. Um, I know that I'm in one that doesn't really value it at all, and that's an Ateneau-based um, league, the, the Fangraph scoring system. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you can do that, but, uh, again, context is king. Where are you in that specific category standings? And where are you in the other categories? And can you afford to lose a four-category contributor and not take a huge hit to acquire, you know, D Gordon um, or, or, or some other steel source? Uh, you know, D Gordon might not be the best example because he'll help you in runs, he'll help you in batting average, but you understand the point. Uh, it's, yeah. it's more about, you know, can I – is there a ground for me to actually gain? I mean, if, if I can only climb so high in the standings with 60 games of a D Gordon caliber uh, stolen base source, um, is, is that going to be worth the gain for the potential loss? And I'm glad you said that because that's kind of the, the, the big factor is people to see D Gordon, Billy Hamilton, whatever stolen base guy, and they don't break down to, of, okay, he's got 40 games left how many steals is that really going to get me? Like, is that really going to be the difference in where we're going? Where, where in reality, the first thing they think of is I'm getting a stolen base guy. You really got to break it down. Like you said, context, context, context of where it's going. Let's take it a different angle now where it gets a little more fun because I'm imagining you've been in many leagues like this and I can't stand it. And I'm guessing you probably don't appreciate it either. Teams that tank and then they just disappear because it's football season. And then it, it really, really helps the guys up top out, and it, it makes it harder to catch them. Um, if you're if you're a bottom feeder, how do you approach this part of the year so you don't completely ruin it for everybody else, but you're probably not a hundred percent committed? Well, there's there's a couple of different factors here. I mean, number one, I, I think that most fantasy baseball leagues, if not all of them, should add some sort of a keeper element to them. And I think that's a way to keep everybody keep everybody interested to at least some extent, because if you can sell off your big pieces and you have something to gain from it, um, you know, for instance, if you're nuts about Juan Soto, then you can go out and get Juan Soto for one of your big pieces and then keep him for however long your league allows. Um, I, you know, I, I think that's number one is you've got to find a way to keep everybody engaged and I mean, this is sacrilege as far as the expert community goes, but my background, my introduction to fantasy baseball and the format that I prefer best is head-to-head cats. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I don't have as much of an issue with with that as, as the Roto guys do, um, you know, because you've got six, eight playoff spots that people are competing for, for um, you know, uh, and, and that – keeps everybody engaged to a greater extent, or at least keeps more teams engaged. Now, of course, yeah, it sucks. You have the best team all year, you have a bad week, and you're done. But, you know, this is America. <laughs> we believe in playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that that's part of it. And you can offset some of that by, you know, factoring in some transfer of the money from the person that wins the playoffs versus the person that wins the regular season. But, I mean, if you're in the bottom, you set realistic goals for yourself. Um, you know, if you're in a league where, you know, four spots finish in the money, shoot for fourth. Yep. And that can be an obtainable goal. Um, you know, you have to be realistic about it. You have to and, – and, and I think you have to take some chances. 
you know, you have to go get your Gary Sanchez. You have to go get your Marcelo Zunas. You have to go get Jose Abreu. Guys that haven't lived up to expectations that can get hot and go on a surge right now. Brian Dozier is another one. Um, you know, go out and try and get those guys and hope that you catch the best 60 games from them. And then that's how you make that sort of meteoric rise up the standings. It won't get you into first or second, but it might get you to a point where you get your money back, depending on how the money breaks down in your league. No, I think that's a great point. Uh, there needs to be kind of league by league stipulations. Like you said, if it's, if it's a head to head league, X amount of guys get in and that does help things quite a bit. I play a lot of Roto and I've been in leagues where we have first half winners and then it, you can reset the stats. Second half winners of the season total still play. So at least yeah, see, that's, get that's a, good. Get I like that. You have a bad first half. It, it goes back to zero and you can at least try to get your money back or something in the second half. Um, I think the keeper element's tremendous. That's, I think so many people are going that direction. Some of the best leagues I'm in that I enjoy the most are keepers. Cause like you said, you know, bad years happen. That's baseball. Even quote unquote, the best experts have bad seasons. That's just how it works. But when you have the ability to go and get a Juan Soto, go and get, you know, a, a Vladdy Jr. or something to help you in the future, you can make those kind of things happen because, you know, you believe in flags fly forever. So you can sell pieces to people that want to win that title and you can make that work. So I think that's a, a tremendous point. And I think more leagues should have it. It doesn't have to be a dynasty league by any means, but, you know, four or five, six keepers changes a lot, changes the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, and that's and that's a great point because so many – so many times I feel like when you say keeper, people run to dynasty yes. and you know, it, it doesn't have to be that complex. It can be four yeah. or five, six guys. And those I think are the best leagues yep. because then it's not too much for your casual player. Um, and, and, you know, as much as we love leagues where competition and, and we've got a bunch of expert guys, I mean, a lot of times those kind of skilled players aren't just as readily available in your home league. So if you can keep it simple and keep it four or five, six guys, you know, those casual players don't have to know the who's, who's breaking at double A and who's the top prospect at double A to, to compete and to win and to play. And that's, that's what does not turn people off that that'll turn people on. Yeah, it definitely gives the player pool so much depth to it. It's like you're basically what you're saying. Like if you're playing Dynasty after that first year draft, literally, unless they are still in college, everybody's gone. Like you have nobody really, unless some random guy just shows up and and, and turns. You know, he, he seemed like he was going to be a four A 4A player, and now he's a stud. It's just random things like that. So, like you said, four or five, six guys. You might not even keep minor leaguers. You might keep you know Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and stuff like that. And it lets other teams have fun. I, it, I think it's a great format. And it's definitely something that, you know, should be talked about a lot more. And I don't think it is. So that, that's, a, that's a really good point. Um, any final kind of second half strategy approaches people can take before we get into some player talk? The only thing that I would add is just when you're, when you're analyzing your roster, regardless of what position you're in, don't necessarily try to win the trade value-wise. Yes. You want to win the trade in a manner that will help your team. Now, I will give you a for instance very quickly. Now, I mentioned Matt Kemp before. Um, I recently traded Matt Kemp um, in my home league, which is a 6 by 6 with uh, OPS, uh, your traditional five hitting categories, and then the um, 
four four traditional pitching categories with quality starts and place of wins and K to walk. Um, and this league is pitching crazed. The best starting pitcher available on the free agent wire is Corey Oswald. So <laughs> it is, oh yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> rough out there. So um, how deep is this league? It's, it's a 12 teamer with uh, oh, 27 spots. Okay. Um, and in, oh. in, in weekly innings limit, that basically forces you to start at least six pitchers. And like I said, it's just, it's a league with guys that just stack starting pitchers. So I recently lost Garrett Richards. um, And I said to myself, I I need to find a way to supplement this loss. So I identified Kemp as the guy I wanted to move. And I traded him for Carlos Rodon and Will Smith. Now, on its face with Kemp being a top 50, top 75 type player, you know, a top 20 outfielder in most circles, you would call that trade a loss. But this goes back to my point about context. You have to look at the league in context and say, all right, well, my drop off from Matt Kemp to the free agent pool is Jesse Winker. And I'm a big Jesse Winker guy. He's a very good guy to be big on. I, my drop-off from Garrett Richards to the free agent starting pitcher pool is <laughs> Corey Holeswall. It's quite the so, drop-off. <laughs> exactly. It's a trade that I that I have to make, um, you know, given my team context, given my league context. And that's, that's really what I think people have to take away from this conversation is, mm-hmm. you know, you don't necessarily have to win the trade. You don't necessarily have to, um, you know, blow the doors off and, and, and throw yourself a parade. What you need to do is identify your needs. If you have them and try and make the best trade for you, regardless of what it does for the other guy. No, I am a hundred percent on board with you there. That that's the thing. Like we've seen in TGFBI, I believe a Mike Trout or one of the big dogs up there got traded for like a Corey Kluber and another starting pitcher. Like you have to do what you need in your team for your context. And you like, it almost goes back to the very beginning thing you said about you do the blind resume. Okay. I got player a who has all these stats that are going to help this team. I want player like C and E from the other team to help me over here. I don't even care what the names are. Cause this is what's going to help me in the long, the grand scheme of things. And that's kind of what you need to look at more so than just, Hey, yes, Mike Trout's great. And if this isn't a keeper league, might be the move you have to make. Just yeah, the way he's it works. Done, he's he's done enough at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty much locked you up in a lot of categories, or he should have by now. So, um, and what he's going to do from here on out is pretty much just icing on the cake. So, <clears throat> definitely something we can look at there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's talk about some players though, and it's, it, these are some players that might be on your waiver wire. Maybe not in the league you were just talking about, Pat, but um, definitely some players that have kind of been hot the last few weeks heading into the All Star break. Hopefully. The layoff didn't kill them, but it's some players coming into the year. Most people were high on some, maybe not, but uh, we'll kick it off with Gregory Polanco, a guy many people thought this was the year he was going to do it. And man, did he start out horrible. Buck 98 average in, in March, April, 232 in May, but he really got it going in June and July. Um, he's, he's hit uh, eight home runs in June and July. He's driven in 26 runs, absolutely crushing the baseball again. A lot of extra base hits. Not running much, but running enough, I would say. 
uh, four steals on the season. So you'd like more from Gregory Polanco, but overall a, a stat line of 235 with 16 homers, 49 RBIs, or 51 RBIs, 49 runs scored. He's really got it done in the last, like I'd say, six weeks or so. What's your thoughts on a Gregory Polanco going into the second half? Is this a guy you really want to go try to get, or are you worried the slump's coming again? I, I, I've i always found Polanco interesting, and I've always been a fan. Um, I, I did have won a couple of shares this year, um, and, and he has undergone that swing change where the power has now come and, and materialized. Uh, the issue is, is that the batting average has never really materialized, um, and I, I doubt it will because with – the new fly ball approach, the Babbitt should stay league average or worse. And that's really what I think is keeping him down now. He's shown improved patience. The K rate isn't prohibitive. I mean, I think it's right around 20%, might be 22, 23% off the top of my head. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, there's there's the, the few steals that he throws in. He's been kind of disappointing there. Um, he was a guy that you were probably looking to for about 15 to 20 steals. He's not going to get there, obviously, with just four and about 65 to 70 games left. Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of look at Polanco, and and I think this is just a hot streak. Um, you know, whereas earlier in the year, the fly balls weren't leaving the yard. Now they are. Um, and, and, I, and I don't think that we can say for certain that that's going to continue. Um, and – you know, if the fly balls aren't leaving the yard, the, the batting average is going to suffer. And, and I think right now you got to look at him basically as like a 240-ish, maybe a 250, 25 homer guy that might get up to 10 swipes. Now, you know, depending on league format, that can be a useful player, five outfielder leagues. That's useful. Um, you know, a format where you're talking 16, 15, 16 teams, that's, that's a useful player. Um, in, in smaller leagues, you know, 12 teamers, um, standard 12 teamers, you know, like 20, 23 players rostered, uh, probably not. Um, and I, and I think in those formats in particular, I would take a pass, but even in the deeper formats, I I don't foresee that this is going to continue. I think that he's, um, a player that's kind of redundant. I mean, across the league there, there is the possibility that he does steal some more bases and, but there's also the possibility. I mean, this is a guy that comes with a ridiculous injury history. Um, yeah. You know, you're you're talking um, one of the more injury prone players, and you're talking about soft tissue injuries too. So um, and, and knee problems. So I, I, I'm I'm sort of out. Yeah, I get that completely. He's a guy I want to be good. Like I really want him yeah. to be good. But I, I agree. It's like he started out the year with the power surge early on. Still didn't hit for average. Then it all just disappeared, and he got replaced by Austin Meadows for a brief time in the rotation in the outfield. Now he heats up again. They send Austin Meadows down. It really won't take a, a much of a slump, I think, to have Austin Meadows back up and making that issue all over again. Um, if anything, I'd say with Gregory Polanco is I think the hype was so big on him coming into the year that he went higher than maybe he should have been in drafts. But like you said, depending on your league size, league format – if he's a guy that falls in drafts next year, so I know this is a second-half kind of conversation, but you still got to remember things in context. This could be a guy to remember next season, like when, when guys are just looking at you know season total stats when they're drafting, and remember who this guy can be and what he can be, and he does help you later in a draft for a deeper team. So maybe that's the guy to have. If you have him right now, trade him while he's hot, stuff like that. But um, 
Yeah, I agree. This could be a, a rough one here. Would you rather have Gregory Polanco or let's go with a couple of reds, Jesse Winker or, or Scott Shevler? Okay. Well, Shevler just went on the DL today with a AC sprain in his shoulder. So cancel I mean, that. I, cancel that one. Yeah, cancel, cancel that, that one out. I'd rather have Polanco. Um, we're talking standard five by five. Yeah, standard five by five. You know what? I, give me Winker at this point. I, I I think that Jesse Winker has got a little bit more power upside than people give him credit for. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry to make this about Jesse Winker, but no, um, it's fine. You know, it's just the, it's just the way that we're going. Um, he he's a, he's a player that's I think is evolving. He's he's beginning to shift his swing a little bit more. Um, towards the power end in terms of um, line drives and fly balls, um, you know, and, and if that develops, he makes such good hard contact. Um, he, his profile sort of reminds me of um, the good version of Michael Conforto, um, you know, because he is an oppo fly ball guy and he is an up the middle fly ball guy, but that park, you can go oppo. Um, and over the course of, I tweeted about it this morning. I think it's, 455 major league plate appearances. He's got 14 bombs. So he's on roughly an 18 homer full season pace. If he's an 18 homer guy hitting 290, getting on base at like a 410 clip in a lineup with Joey Votto, Scooter Jeanette, and Eugenio Suarez, uh, the steals don't matter, right? And the power isn't great, but the power is enough that – he can play. Whereas Polanco is going to hit a few more homers and he's going to steal a handful more bags, but he's going to hit like 230. And the counting numbers I don't think will be as good now that Winker is established, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. Winker, Winker has kind of put himself in a position now where he should be an everyday player. Um, and Polanco has a, an Equivalent threat, I think, to Winker in terms of his playing time in, as you mentioned, Austin Meadows, which is a point that I completely whiffed on. But it's a great point. You know, all it takes is uh, two weeks of, you know, offers for Polanco, which is completely possible given the fly ball profile, and Austin Meadows is back. And suddenly he's playing – he's missing a game every third day. So, yeah, give me Winker in that scenario. I mean, I, I, I to me, I don't care about the – three, four steals, he's going to get me the rest of the way. No, I like that a lot. Uh, we're going to jump to another outfielder, and I'll come back on the list there. But let's compare him to this guy, and we'll talk about Cameron Maven here for a second. And uh, this is the guy – he was a late-round target of mine, thinking middle of the Miami order, getting steals, hopefully plays well, gets traded, so on and so forth. Got off to a horrific start to the year, but in the last month or so, He's hitting 280, two homers. He's got five stolen bases. The reason I wanted him late was for those steals. Again, on the year, not sexy by any means. Um, at the moment, he's hitting 242 with still those just those two homers he's hit in the last month, eight stolen bases on the year. Um, the hard contact isn't where you'd want it, but he's, things are looking a lot better in the Cameron Maven profile. Is this a guy you could look at in the second half of the season, or is this a guy on a hot streak as well? Well, I think this is a need-based thing. Uh, you know, he's a he's a strict speed guy. Um, he does have a little bit of pop. You know, it, it was sort of funny. Uh, he was a late-round target on mine as well, and I think he had the quietest 10-30 season on record. 
uh, last year. I mean, I remember looking at him and seeing, I think it was 11 homers, 33 steals, and being like, Cameron maybe did that? <laughs> and it was and it was a chorus something like 500 plate appearances. It wasn't even a full season. Hitting, 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 hitting 230 with a 320 OBP, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just it. I mean, like, he's crazy. He's, he's, he's a guy that, that has never really hit for a high average. Um, for whatever reason, I've never really been able to figure that out because he's on the ground a lot, but he's extremely fast. You would think that the BABIP would be higher, but it, it just has never really materialized for me in over the course of a full season uh, due to either injuries or just inconsistencies at the plate. But he does he does take a walk. He walks at like a 10% clip. Um, my concern is, um, you know, he's a player that got traded last year and – He's useful enough on the base paths um, that he's one of those fourth outfielder types that that teams target for, you know, pinch running situations during the postseason. Um, So he might get traded into a role where he just doesn't have the playing time. But, I I mean, being concerned about that might be a fool's errand because he's free. (laughs) You know, you can pretty much get him anywhere. So – I, I do like the buy because he's the type of player, you know, for those speed starved in Roto leagues, this is a guy that can steal 10, 12 bases, bases in a month. Realistically. I mean, if he gets hot um, and, and given his team context, I mean, Miami's bad. They're not going to tell him to stop running. So if he gets on base at a good clip during the course of a month, it's very possible he can give you 10 to 12 steals. And, you know, if he's hot, he's not going to hurt you in batting average. Yeah, the counting stats will suffer a little bit, but you have to take the give and take. Yeah, I dig that quite a bit. Uh, let's talk about another outfielder that everyone talked going into the year. Anaheim lowered their fences, and no one's going to benefit more than Cole Calhoun. Well, he benefited so much he got sent to the minors for a bit. And he was extremely disappointed. He'll get his season totals. We're talking about a guy with a buck 90 batting average with nine homers. 31 runs scored, 26 RBIs. But in the last month, he's hitting 274 with eight of those nine home runs. He scored 17 runs. He leads off a lot against right-handed pitching. Maybe Cole Calhoun is figuring things out. Is Cole Calhoun a guy that kind of comes back onto the radar? Because a lot of people were talking about him, maybe even more so than Cameron Maben early in draft season about you know late-round targets. What's your thoughts on the Cole Calhoun in the stretch run? Yeah, this was my <laughs> my volume safe outfielder in the great fantasy baseball invitational. And, you know, I was thinking 250, 260, 20 bombs, good counting. Nope, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's really picked it up. Um, you know, he, he got sent down. I actually thought it was with an injury. I, I, I thought he had suffered an oblique and – um, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah and then so, he spent time rehabbing. You're right. Yeah. So he spent the time rehabbing. He's come back. And since he's come back, he's been very good. Now, I don't think it's all attributable to the injury. His batted ball profile was a complete mess early in the year. High soft contact, uh, tons of grounders. Um, and he's completely flipped it since then. Um, since coming back, he shifted more towards fly balls, more towards line drives, which has allowed him to take advantage, I think, of that um, shorter porch. Um, in Anaheim at this point, uh, you know, at least over the course of the last month. Now, it's not all it's not all rosy. Um, you know, you mentioned 274, still comes with the 250 BABIP. So he hasn't solved this BABIP problems. And the issue with the BABIP is he's getting eaten up by the shift. 
And his ground balls are just – I think he's hitting like 130 on ground balls. It, it, it's some sort of extreme um, number, and it's all due to the shift. He's he's just – every time he hits a ground ball, it's an out. So I don't know that the batting average is going to get back uh, or that you can project him going forward to like a normal 260, 265 that you would expect from him based on his track record. I think he's a 235, 240 guy. I, I am willing to give him a few more homers. I am willing to give him a little increase in power um, going forward because of the ballpark and because of the approach um, change that we've seen over the last month. I'm, I'm willing to buy that maybe he can keep that up. But even then, I mean, you know, you pace him out. He's a 25 homer guy um, with 60 games left, 70 games left. You're talking 10 to 12 homers. And, uh, you know, like a 230, 240 average. Um He's probably going to have pretty decent counting because they do seem to like him against right-handed pitching at the top of the lineup, which is a, which is a nice plus. I think he's kind of similar to Gregory Polanco, to be honest, at this point in terms of how I view them. Yeah. And and I think that Calhoun is – well, I, I don't think this. I know this. I, I, Calhoun is definitely the cheaper option. Yeah. So, to me, I think I'd rather have Calhoun. Um, but that said, I do think that Calhoun does have the higher – uh, or or the lower performance floor. Like Calhoun could hit 200, 190 the rest of the way just based upon his struggles against the shift because he hasn't shown he can beat it. No, that that's a massive problem for sure. Um, and the good thing about Calhoun, though, is like you said, the lower um, cost and everything, he's probably available on many waiver wires out there where Gregory Polanco is not. So Yeah, I was able to get him back. In the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, so nice. yeah, I, I did get some of the good stuff that's come. So I didn't eat yeah. the 170 and not get the recent power surge. So well, that's good. That's good because yeah. I gave up on Matt Carpenter and I cry every day. So it's okay. Um, that's a whole other story for another day. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk Ian Desmond. This guy, king of the 63 percent ground ball rate for the second straight season, which is just insane when you're hitting in freaking Coors Field. You want to elevate the baseball. But in the last month or so, he has played outstanding. We're talking a guy hitting 307, four homers. He's stealing four bags, 16 ribbies, 17 run scores, getting it done in the middle of the order. Given caveat, he's played a lot of those 38 days at home. That's a big, big help, obviously. But you still have to like the improvements you've seen on the season. You know, the 235 average, that sucks. The 271 Babbitt, lots of ground balls will hurt that. But he's still got 18 homers to go with his 11 stolen bases and 56 RBIs. Are we back? There was many that were on the anti-Ian Desmond bandwagon less than a month ago. Are we back on thinking this, okay, this guy, he can help us pretty much everywhere, but batting average the rest of the way? You know, I am one of those people that was on the anti-Ian Desmond bandwagon, and I can't blame you. It's, Listen, a, it's I, a great bandwagon. It's a party. And, you know, I, I, I do like some of the stuff he's done. You know, his hard contact percentage has risen month to month to month to month. And that's a very good sign. But with that kind of ground ball profile, yeah. I, the, I think the homer to fly ball rate is near 40%. That's not going to stick. I don't care how hard he hits the ball. It's just – it's not – I don't care where he plays his games. It's it's not going to happen. Um, and Desmond is one of these guys that has a track record of 
running red hot and then going ice cold. We have a term that we use on my show. It's, it's called Corey Dickerson cold. And, and <laughs> Ian, Desmond, Ian Desmond could be the substitute for Corey Dickerson. Oh, that's a good so one. there's there's a lot of juice um, here in terms of the power and the speed, and I can understand buying it. I think that he's you know one of the poster children for that sort of strategy that we laid out, where you have to swing for the fences. Um, he's the guy that is going to be all or nothing because that's what he is. Um, there's not going to be any in between. You know, he, he could hit 275 with you know. 12, 13 homers the rest of the way with 10 to 12 steals and be an absolute monster. Um, but he could also hit five homers the rest of the way with seven steals and hit 210. Uh, and those are probably the two most likely outcomes when it comes to yep. Ian Desmond because there's just not much in the middle when it comes to him. Um, you know, outside of that circumstance, where, you know, I need to hit a home run, I think I'm staying away because I think the price on the category juice is going to be too expensive, especially given the hot streak. Um, you know, if, if I own him, I'm shopping him uh, because I, I, I think I want a little more consistency. And I think given um, – and I want to give you credit because I, I like the way that you said Coors because that is the way to say it. It's not Coors. No, it's cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, given given that factor, and and given the the work that he's done already in terms of the power and the speed, I, I just think he's going to be ex- expensive, and I think he's going to be a player people will have interest in acquiring. And I think that I can find a player that is going to give me maybe a little less ceiling, but a little more floor, and mm-hmm. and that's the type of player I think I want, um, given what Desmond has already given me. Now, I, I think I know the answer here, and I'm already on one side of this, but let's just have a little hypothetical. Would you rather have Ian Desmond or C.J. Cron the rest of the way? Uh, Desmond, because I because Desmond's going to provide me with the speed. Um, I think Cron is equally streaky, uh, so okay. I'll take the I'll take the speed, and you know, Cron. I, I, I do I do like what Cron has done this year. I do like that he's received the full time playing time in Tampa. And I do think that he's a little bit better than people gave him credit for, but I'd still take Desmond. Okay, yeah, because it's, it's hard to find that first baseman with the speed prowess he brings. But, uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how he does the rest of the way. Can I give you one? I'm curious. Sure, sure. Fire away. Would you rather have Ian Desmond or Eric Cosmer? Desmond. I hate Eric Cosmer with a passion. Yeah, I hate Eric Cosmer with a passion. I, mean, I like, honestly, like, <laughs> if, there's anybody that hit, hit, if there's anyone that could hit more ground balls and get paid more money than Ian Desmond, it is Eric Cosmer. So, yes. uh, yeah, don't go, I can go on a tangent about the worst signings in baseball in the recent years, and that's one of them. Um, yeah, talk about the Padres. I thought they had such great things going for them, but they do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, but he's got such grit. He's a winner. He's a team leader in the clubhouse, clubhouse leader right there, guys. You just paid I, – I can give motivational speeches for a lot less money than that if that's what you need. Trust me. I'll break stuff over my head, whatever you want. Like, seriously, it's crazy. And you um, know what the other thing is about that signing that, that drives me up the wall? It's now they've had to move Will Myers back to the outfield, and it's – he's proven that he can't stay healthy. Uh, I, was, you know, I, was, like, I was about to say, hello, Padres. How many DL stints already? <laughs> <laughs> like us, us idiots that sit in our desk all day could have told you it's a bad idea. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's pretty fantastic that 
you know, they went out and they paid this guy all this money and just placed their best player yep. who is injury prone and now has spent most of the year on the DL. But. And they have so many outfielders and a few corner infielders in the minors that'll be up in this year, next year, the year after. Like you literally just screwed yourself. Yeah, I mean they they, they, they moved Naylor to the outfield, and, exactly. and Naylor has no business playing the outfield. Naylor is my size. We don't play the outfield. <laughs> this is very simple. <laughs> you just don't put us in the outfield. Okay. Let's talk about another outfielder, though, uh, for my San Francisco Giants, a guy I thought should have been starting since opening day over Austin Jackson. Finally got the nod. Steven Duggar. This kid is good, and obviously he's had some really good games. He's had a couple quiet games. He's a rookie. He's going to have a lot of that throughout the next couple months. But what he can bring to the table, he still has no homers and no stolen bases on the year. He has some pop, not a ton, but he does have some wheels. Um, And he's already scored six runs, four RBIs, and six game played, hitting two eighty six. A lot of gap power, which plays phenomenally in AT&T Park. Is this a guy you look into? Um, he's probably available on all waiver wires. Let's run the deepest of leagues right now. Is this a guy you kind of look at uh, for your second half run? Yeah, I mean, he is a deeper league type, definitely. And as you mentioned, he's got some power. He's got speed. But he's also got swing and miss, despite a good eye. Um, yep. I might be more interested if he wasn't in San Francisco. Yep. Um, the middling power is going to play down from the left side there. Uh, The average is going to be rough because the contact issues are in the zone. It's not a case where the patients can save him. Um, You know, his his O-swing percentage is pretty good. Uh, Longer term, I think he's going to need an adjustment um, to the swing to to play full-time. I think he might be more of a fourth outfielder type long-term. Or his defense is going to have to play up a couple of ticks. Um, But, you know, I mean, rest of – in terms of, like, what I would expect over the course of a full season – you know, I, I see him as like a 10 homer, 25 steel type um, and 235-ish batting average. But with but he can make up for it in OBP leagues. I think his OBP would be right around 330, 335. Um, I think he's a useful player. I, I think that he's sort of similar to um, Dustin Fowler. Um, I, I like Dustin Fowler a little better, but I think that that's kind of the profile that you're looking at when it comes to Duggar. That's a great comp. I'm huge on Dustin Fowler. He's a guy that another one should have been starting from the end of the season, but that's another story for another yes. day. Um, and, and and the thing I like about Duggar a lot is his defense is very good, and that's going to keep him in the lineups. Like you mentioned, the OBP, it's going to keep him leading off. Surprisingly, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me at the moment, but the Giants have actually scored more runs at home this year than on the road. They're averaging like four to five runs a game at home right now, which is ridiculous. So he really fits in well leading off for them right now. Um, he's It's small, small sample, but he's been hitting lefties in his early going, just like he's hitting righties. Tons of swing and miss, like you said. It's almost like, though, would you rather, because you know the power and speed we're still trying to figure out with him, would you rather take the discount on a Steven Duggar than gamble on Gregory Polanco? In a, in a vacuum, I want Polanco. Mm-hmm. Um, if how about how about I, next season? How about next season? If you're drafting yeah, and you get Duggar a few rounds later, I still think the answer is Polanco. Um, but okay. if I need the speed, yeah, I, I think that that's an example of the sort of deal that I might make to try and get mm-hmm. the speed because I can probably get trading Polanco. You know, I can probably get. Duggar and 
another piece or an upgrade someplace else and still get, mm-hmm. you know, an advantage no, of eight to, you know, something like eight to 10 stolen bases the rest of the way. I think he'll have over Polanco. And, and the fun part about that was just the silence alone just tells everybody that it's not as far apart as people think. And that's what makes it it's fun to think about. And the bottom line, like you said, you mentioned a name, Dustin Fowler, I would take over both of them. But um, I think Dustin Fowler, once he gets the everyday role leading off for the A's, there's going to be some good things coming down the line for that kid. Yeah, right. I think I would actually take Fowler over Polanco at this point. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm obviously pretty cooled on Polanco at this point. I mean, yeah. and I think you have to be because I, I – and I think if you have him, the fact that Meadows just got sent down is probably – and the fact that he's been so hot is yeah. probably your ideal opportunity to sell him. Yeah, I'd sell as fast as you could right now. Um Let's talk about Greg Bird, the novelty that is Greg Bird. Last year's draft season, darling, that, that fell apart, and everybody thought we are rebounding this season to Greg Bird yet again, and what's Greg Bird do? He finds the disabled list again. Um, he is hitting 214 on the year. The last 30 days or so since he's been back up, he's only hitting 203, but he's hitting with power, and that's what you want from Greg Bird, five homers, 16 ribbies, Um it's kind of an all-or-nothing thing. He's not going to hit for average, it looks like, unless it comes later on. He's not stealing bags. I'm still staying away from this guy, but his name is popping up everywhere right now. What's your thoughts on the guy like Greg Bird? I mean, I, I, I can tell from your tone that you're not a fan. And, and he burned I, me I am, hard last year. Hard. I am not, I am not, a, I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I understand the theory. Lefty power bat, Yankee Stadium, Yankee lineup. Yep. Very appealing. But there's two issues, one of which you hinted at is he can't stay healthy. And two, I don't think the profile is special. Um, You know, it's – I just don't think he's ever going to go – and this is is going towards next year. I don't think he's ever going to go at a price where I'm going to end up with him because I think he's always going to carry that Yankee premium at least as long as he's on the Yankees. I mean, two years in a row we've seen him rise up draft boards – and just become way too expensive. Um, you know, and with respect to the second point, he's a low average, high power bat at first base. He's got some swing and mass, and the swing is geared towards fly balls. And this isn't Matt Olson where, you know, the fly balls are stung. These yeah. are towering fly balls that are going to produce a poor Babbitt. So you've got, you know, a 25 to 30% strikeout rate, You've got um, low Babbitt fly balls. He's never going to hit for a decent average. So yeah, he, there is a there is a world where Greg Bird stays healthy for most of the year and hits thirty five to forty homers um, and hits two thirty five two forty. But you're banking on something that hasn't happened yet, and you're banking on a guy's health that has never been able to stay healthy. So. I just I, I'm not a fan. I, I think that there are better options, even in this current atmosphere where first base has been a very disappointing position. Um, it, it just seems to me the, the one thing that is the advantage of Greg Bird is is that on this sort of hot streak, he get, regains his value very quickly because of his situation. So if I did have him, which I don't. Um, I would try and sell him now because, again, people have stars in their eyes. 
they're seeing him hit, you know, sixth in that lineup or, or sometimes cleanup. And you got the you got Judge, you got Stanton, you got Sanchez on his way back. Gregorius is having a great year. Hicks is having a blow up year. You know, you've got all of these excellent bats. Uh, Gleyber Torres is going to come back, and Dahar is hitting. It's a it's a very attractive situation. So as the power starts to come, people start to be able to dream on it, and you might be able to get something actually pretty decent for him just based upon what's around him. And then you not only get out from under the batting average risk, but you get out from under the injury risk as well. Yeah, second half-wise, this guy could bring you a return that you should not be getting, so take advantage of how you can. Um, you mentioned name value situation alone. He's 81% owned in Fantrax leagues. For a guy with production like that, tells you exactly what you need to know there. He really is nothing special in that regards. Here's a player comp for you, and it's not this season alone, but just in general. Greg Bird might be our next Adam Dunn. See, I think that's kind of insulting to Adam Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, like I that. do. I, I love. I love the big dog. I the big love Adam Dunn. <laughs> I loved Adam Dunn. And again, Adam Dunn was a guy that you know yeah, multiple last few years, multiple yeah. forty homer seasons, and and he stole a few bases here and there too. You know, Greg Bird's sure. never going to do that. Sure. Yeah, Bird might have a season where you know. I mean, but even Adam Dunn had a season where he hit two seventy or two sixty eight. I don't know yeah. that we're ever going to see Greg Bird do that. True. My apologies to the big donkey. My apologies. It was it was the only thing that came to mind at the moment. But um, let's talk about an outfielder for Kansas City Royals, Mister one of our big old juicy juice heads from over the, the offseason, 80-game suspensions, Jorge Bonifacio. He's back. He had an okay you know, introductory to Kansas City last season, uh, hitting about 255 with um, 17 homers. He's pretty much been a 17 to 20 homer guy the last few years from the minors and the bigs. And he's off to a pretty decent start. First few weeks back, hitting 288 with a homer and eight RBIs. He's not going to be flashy, but he's going to get you every day at bats. He has on his career, he's up to like a you know seven, eight, nine stolen base type guy. So he might get you three or four the rest of the way. But he's got pop to get you 10 to 15 more homers the rest of the way. Uh, do you have any interest in a guy like Jorge Bonifacio? Yeah, it's early, but he looks good. He's hitting the ball hard. It hasn't turned into power output yet, but I mean, it's so early that that that's not really that concerning. Um, He was originally a touted prospect, uh, but he took a while to find it. Um, He came up last year. He was impressive um, with the homers and and a plus Babbitt. He looks like he's going to be a plus Babbitt guy, um, which is good because he's got a little swinging miss to his game. Not, not terrible, but you know, he's going to float in the mid to upper twenties. So if he can support a BABIP that's plus 300, um, that's going to be key for his batting average. Uh, And that's especially important because he's not a player that I think is going to hit 35 homers ever. So, I mean, if he's going to be a 25 homer guy, you want him to hit 260, 270. And I think he can do that um, with, as you mentioned, a few steals. And he might run even a little bit more because, again, and I'm a big believer in this, um, bad teams tend to run more. So, you know, if he's getting on and Mike Moustakis is – and they're going to get worse. So Mike Moustakis isn't there anymore. Maybe they move Merrifield. Maybe they move Perez. Doubtful, but maybe they do. Um, you know, he, even if they're there, he, he might run a little bit more than you expect just because what's to stop him? Um, you know, Kansas City doesn't, it doesn't need to win games. So 
they might give their guys the green light just to try to create some offense uh, or even just some excitement. Um, so I, I think that there is some upside there in, in the steals um, in the short term. But, you know, and, and I think generally when it comes to these players that are on bad teams, um, you know, it, it tends to be a resource that sometimes goes untapped. Uh, you know, you look at him and you say, oh, he's on Kansas City. Like, he's not going to give me anything. Well, he's going to give you every day at bats mm-hmm. because there's no reason why they wouldn't play him. He's going to hit in the middle of the order because he's one of their better bats. Um, so, you know, the volume should be pretty good. And to the extent there are RBI opportunities, um, he's going to be the guy that gets them. So I, I think that sometimes that sort of goes side unforeseen. Yeah, if you need the counting stats and you need them, um, he's probably not your guy. But at the same time, he's going to provide you good volume the rest of the way, and he has some upside. So I don't think he's the worst play in you know a, a deeper format. Bonifacio or Cole Calhoun? Ooh. Give me super tight. Um, give me Bonifacio. That's kind of where I'm leaning. I think this kid, like you said, he was once a touted prospect, and we really haven't seen the full scope of this guy. I think uh, I think there's more to come with him. Maybe it's next season, but I think it might be worth a chance this season. I really do like that. We take this brief break from Bench with Bubba to talk to you about Rotoware. It's one of the best quality shirts in the industry. When I mean industry, all the clothing industry, the fantasy sports industry, because people are rocking it. They're loving it. You're seeing it in a lot of big outlets now. The, no other brand can compete with Rotoware in terms of quality. They're premium blend fabric, super soft, comfortable, athletic fit shirts. They specialize with a special, special printing process. The design is part of the shirt. Literally, it is, it is dyed and bleached into the fabric. No thick ink. There's over 30 different designs right now. It's just crazy all the stuff they have coming out, and there's more and more stuff every time you turn your head. They have fantasy football, baseball, hockey, basketball, some really cool DFS ones, but everything's great. They have men's, women's, and kids. Check them all out. Go to rotoware.com, R-O-T-O-W-E-A-R.com. Check them out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Rotoware. But the cool part, guys, if you use the promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, you get 20% off your order. Again, promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S. Check their site out. Check them Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They're always giving away free shirts. And then when you go to purchase the ones you want for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, whatever, use promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, for 20% off your order. Now back to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba. Let's talk a couple pitchers here and a couple relievers that you never know what's going to happen in this realm of things. But I want to bring up Jordan Hicks, who's had a rocky, you know, last month or so, ERA above seven. He's still got a caper nine going on. We know how electric he's been all season, just striking out the world when he wants to. Or he just he gets wild because he just throws gas and little control. But the big take-home from this is Bud Norris was Matheny's guy. Bud Norris could easily get traded soon. Jordan Hicks actually got a save over the weekend before the All-Star break in a save role, I believe, while Matheny was still there, I think. Um, there's a chance that Hicks takes this rollover. Are you willing to go grab him now and hold him and maybe take some off and on ratios if you need saves, or is this a guy you kind of just wait and see? I do not. Th- I think he's actually a pretty good save spec for a couple of reasons. One, um, as you mentioned, Matheny is gone and Norris was Matheny's guy. 
Um, and two, he's he's a trade candidate. Norris is, and three, he's um, he's been banged up. So he, apparently there was some sort of arm issue over the weekend. He had a finger issue in the middle of last week. So, you know, there hasn't been any kind of reports because we're over the all-star break now. That's why Hicks picked up the save over the weekend, though. There was something with Norris's arm, and we haven't had anything come out since. So that makes you think it's not serious. But there's multiple paths here for Jordan Hicks to get the job. And given the reports that came out about Norris uh, and the fact that those reports came out and Matheny then got fired, um, it seemed like that might have been part of the Cardinals thinking, um, you know, Norris might be a guy that's a cancer in that clubhouse at this point, and they might be looking to move on from him. Um, uh, Hicks is sort of funny, though, moving it back to Hicks. Um, you know, a lot of the wildness was early in the season, and his results were good early in the, early in the season, despite the fact that he wasn't really striking anybody out and he was walking the world. The skills have done the reverse, and the results have done the reverse. Over the course of the last month or so, I believe he's striking out 12 per nine. His walks are down below three per nine, and his ERA is over five. (laughs) It's it's crazy. He's more in the zone. It's shocker. Pro ball players can hit a fastball. Yes, pro ball players (laughs) can hit a fastball. But but it's also the sort of wonky – stuff that happens with relievers because you're over the course of like 30 days, because you're taking a small sample, you know, a small sample of 30 days and with relievers, your 30 day sample is like 12, 13 innings. So all it takes is a couple of blowups and boom, you know, everything is exaggerated um, and, and blown up. And, and that's why it looks so bad, but the underlying skill growth is actually encouraging. Um, I don't think he's a bad safe spec. I don't think he's the best. Um, but I, I, I do think that if the Cardinals don't get it together in the next 10 days, um, you know, if they don't go on a little bit of a run here, uh, Norris is going to be a ideal sell candidate. And then it would be Hicks that would get the job. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I, I think people should be grabbing Hicks if he's still available. I think some leagues – might be smart enough, and he might already be gone. So uh, get him while you can. I'm not saying go trade for him by any means, but if he's available, he's worth a definite buy. Um, let's talk John Gray, the ace, or was the ace, or should be the ace. Maybe he still is the ace. We don't know of the Colorado Rockies. He had a horrific start to the year. Currently has a 5.44 ERA, but he's got an 11.33 K per nine. You look at the fifths and the x fifths. He's one of the biggest, you know, you know, ERA minus fifth candidates or x fifth candidates in baseball. His numbers peripheral wise are insane. So some credit bad luck, some credit other deeper stats, who knows, but he got the call back up seven and a third innings, five hits, six K's um, one earned basically was outstanding in his one start. And that was in Colorado. So uh, are we back on John Gray's fine? Was it one start? He's in his career is actually pitched a little better at home than on the road. So are we, are we, are we waiting and watching or are we going for him right now? I'm okay with buying him. Um, it's just a matter of to what level do I have to pay up for him? Um, yeah. You know, the the skills are obviously great. He's, he's got the swing and miss. He's got the control. Um, the issue is, is that 
he's a bad Babbitt guy, and he's always been a bad Babbitt guy. And I don't think it's just Coors. So he's a hittable pitcher in the worst park for hittable pitchers. Um, so I don't think he's going to get down to his peripherals. I don't think he's going to get anywhere close to his peripherals. Um, you know, over the course of however many innings he's going to have the rest of the way, um, we're talking like what, maybe 65, 70 innings. Um, you know, if he, provided he stays up, um, 65, 70 innings, anything can happen. But, you know, if I'm projecting John Gray going forward, uh, you know, I think I see him more as a pitcher with about a four ERA um, and a, a whip probably around one, two, five. And that's a useful pitcher in today's game. Yeah. But it's not what his peripherals are. And I think because his peripherals are so good, you'll have a difficult time acquiring him for less than that, you know, for, you know, if you take another pitcher that would have a four ERA and a one, two, five whip, let me just, I'll just say Marco Gonzalez, right. Um, whether or not you believe that there's some regression there for him to, that's, that's fine. But that sort of profile, if I have to pay beyond what I would have to pay for Marco Gonzalez for John Gray, I, I think I'm going to take the pass and try and place my chips someplace else because yeah. there's also the fact that, John Gray is prone to these blowups, and exactly. he can sink you with those blowups. Very volatile. Yeah, that's what's terrifying about John Gray is he'll have these great starts, but then the blowups are disgusting, like destroy your week. Especially you were talking earlier in head-to-head leagues, it'll ruin your week. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. destroy you. Um, and I'd rather have a guy like Marco Gonzalez because even when he gets hit around, it doesn't seem the blowups are there. I think there's a lot going on with him. Would you rather have John Gray or Jack Flaherty rest of the way? Jack Flaherty struggled the last few times. Ago. Oh, God, Jack Flaherty. Not, I'm, not in even, with, I'm in love with Flaherty, not, too, but there's people bouncing not, off the ship after the last few weeks. No, no, it's not even particularly close. I love that. I love like, that. I, I, think, I think Flaherty is like a top 30-ish starting pitcher. I probably have yeah. Gray somewhere around the 50s. Um, uh, yeah, I think Flaherty is the real deal. Uh, I've been very impressed by him. Um, and the other thing is you might be able to get people that are scared off by Flaherty thinking he's going to get shut down. He's not. No, he's um, not. Yeah. His he innings total, stretched out. Yeah, his innings were like 170 last year. Yep. Um, so he's probably going the distance. What about one of the Baltimore guys, Dylan Bundy or Kevin Gossman? See, this is like the perfect comp. And this is probably why well, he went here. Well, Volatile. <laughs> because they're all they're all volatile. Uh, yep. Bungie doesn't have his slider. He's finished. Gossman decides he doesn't want to throw a splitter. He's finished. Um, I, give me Gray because he's on the better team. Yeah. Uh, and his road parks are more likely to be favorable given the division. Um, yeah. You know, and with, Bundy, uh, with Bundy and Gossman, you're looking at – Yankee State, you're looking at the Yankees and Red Sox. With Gray, I mean, you know, you're he doesn't have to face Colorado in Colorado. Uh, not that the Colorado lineup's great, but, um, you know, the Dodgers are, are going to be intimidating now. 
Um, but you can probably avoid that matchup. And then other than that, I mean, San Francisco's, uh, like you said, has been sort of an underrated offense and been pretty good, but they're not a matchup that scares you away. Um, Arizona, I don't think scares you away. San Diego is a favorable um, matchup. And like you said, he's, 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 he's actually pitched pretty well at home during his career. So maybe you don't have to fade him on all the course starts. Um, that's a tough one though. That's a, that's a good line, but I do think I have gray in front of those guys. And see, most people would stop at the comment of good line, but I'm going to ask you one more. Um, he's available in a lot of leagues cause he was on the DL for a while, but some people love the old version of this pitcher. Some think he's done. Marcus Stroman. Hmm. Give me Gray for the upside because Stroman also has the blow of potential. I'm not sold. He's completely healthy and he doesn't have the strikeouts yet. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about one more closer, potential closer. He's probably not going to be because Blake Trinan's in the way and, the A's like to do goofy stuff with the trade deadline. I don't think Trinan's one of them, but you never know. But the reason I like to mention this guy, because there's a lot of saves whole leagues these days. He still has three saves in the last month. I'm talking about Lou Trevino, a .5 ERA with three saves, 22 Ks, and 17 and two-thirds innings. But the other thing I want to mention, so he has 13 appearances in the last month. I mentioned the three saves. He has four wins in that time period. This guy has been very, very good. On the year, he has a buck twenty-two ERA, a ten point one five K per nine. Uh, the FIPs and the XFIP are a little different, but you kind of expect stuff like that from relievers and whatnot. Left on base percentage of around ninety-five percent, probably not sustainable. But what he's shown this year has been absolutely electric. They love to go to him in like that seventh, eighth inning kind of Davinsky type, or even I compared him to a Sir Anthony Dominguez the other night, where he might go eighth and ninth inning uh, when 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 uh, trying to needs a day off. What's your thoughts on a guy like Lou Trevino, who has kind of burst onto the scene and been very, very good? Yeah, I mean, he's sort of come out of nowhere. Uh, the results have been there. He's got a 1.22 ERA. Like you mentioned, he's rogued a few saves. Um, he's up to four. The velocity is plus. He's got the Ks. He's over 10 per nine with a 50-plus percent ground ball rate. Those are the numbers that I like to see, um, regardless of starter or reliever. If you're over 10K per nine – and you're sporting that 50% ground ball rate, I'm in. Um, now, there is some bad. There is some pain coming. 95% left on base percentage. Relievers have kept, you know, that sort of high level left on base percentage over the course of a full season. It might not change, but chances are over a longer sample it will. Um, so you should bet on that. But, um, you know, he's been uh, – he's basically become Oakland setup guy – um, Oakland is an underrated team. Um, and to your point about Trinan, I don't think they're going to trade him. I think that they might actually try and extend him um, because their window is opening and he is an absolutely elite closer at this point um, with skills that are somewhat similar to Trevino's um, given the ground ball rate and um, you know, the, the, the strikeout rate. I, I think Trevino is an interesting ad Um for the off chance that the A's get absolutely blown away by somebody trying to get Trinan. Um, so I do think there's a non-zero chance that Trinan gets traded. And much like with we talked about with Hicks, um, you know, for that reason alone, he's worth the spec. But, yeah, Trevino can absolutely help in holds leagues. Oakland's going to win games. Um, that that lineup is, is very, very good. I think Matt Olson is a guy that has a major hot streak in him. 
And I think they're going to add at the trade deadline. I don't think they're going to sell. I think they're going to try and get an arm um, and, and make a run at that second wild card. Yeah, I agree because the Mariners are coming back. The A's are creeping up on that wild card chance, and uh, they're they're not far off. They're a very, very good ball club, like you said. And I like guys like Trevino, uh, especially second half when you – you know, saves are tough to kind of – you're playing a guessing game when every team has maybe 60 to 70 games left. You don't know how many saves you're actually going to get. But a guy like Trevino can sneak you some wins, and the ratios are phenomenal. And that's something I could really like to help – kind of keep your stability on your your staff or maybe help it get even better. So it's definitely a guy, especially in daily move leagues, I love a guy like uh, Lou Trevino. So keep him in mind. Um, one last question on players before we do a little quick fantasy all-star talk. Uh, Manny Machado has been traded to the Dodgers that everybody that doesn't live under a rock knows about by now. Just quick thought. Any – any players on the Dodgers actually, besides Kiki Hernandez losing playing time, does this actually, you know, hurt or make better than you would think? Because they've all pretty much played pretty well already. I don't see it being that crazy. But you do put a, a an all star, some say future, the way if he continues the way he is, a future Hall of Famer in the middle of a batting order. So, what's your thoughts on that, just real quick? Well, I I, I hate to make this the Matt Kemp show, but this is where I'm going to go back to. I mean, I think the logical um, development here in terms of how the Dodgers are going to situate their lineup is in, in terms of their defense is Turner's going to be at third Machado's going to be at short because he's going to demand to play short Taylor moves to second Muncie goes to first Bellinger goes to um, center or a corner Jock goes to center or a corner and Kemp is in the other corner now where I'm going to go with this is Jock has been really good over the last month and a half. Now we've certainly seen hot stretches from him before, but my concern about Kemp is um, they've given him days off already on a pretty regular basis. When Puig comes back, are they going to put Jock on the bench consistently if he's still hitting or are they going to sort of run that four-man Pirates outfield with Bellinger playing pretty much every day and Puig and Kemp and Jock sort of rotating in and out of the lineup? Um, and that's my concern for Kemp because I think he's the one that might be um, have the worst combination of value and – downside in that scenario yeah that's a great point that's why i wanted to just bring it up real quick is some of these guys are playing great jocks had a great month or two months right now but yeah playing time can get affected here as as, as much as it makes the dodgers and i hate to say it like a world series contender in a big big way their pitching still sucks but that's just that might just be the giants in me coming out but um yeah it's gonna be bad but it's a good point with jock and that outfield situation that could get really really mucky out there with all the other bats in there, but that offense is going to be just crazy good. Crazy, crazy good. All right. Let's talk real quick. A little fantasy baseball all-star edition. We'll give, we'll go back and forth. We'll do each position. Just give a, give a name and a quick explanation on who you have, like a Twitter answer. We'll go back and forth and kind of compare and see who we got. Cause obviously there can be arguments for many players and there's different ways you can, you can make it, you know, your argument count. But let's start off with the catcher's position. 
in the first half of the season, who is your fantasy baseball catcher? Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I tried to focus on value as opposed to necessarily the, the top end player. Uh, but I, my catcher is JT Real Mudo, um, yeah. player that was going, you know, in or around, I believe, like 120, 130 overall. He's really the only catcher that has come through and returned value um, that was being drafted in all formats. Yep, I love that call. Though. And hopefully for his sake and many others, he gets traded uh, for his own good. But uh, one that I didn't have, and we could mention him later, is Evan Gaddis. His last few months has been crazy. But my guy who I was laughed at before, like two months before the draft season, I had him as my number four catcher in my rankings. And he was like 12th overall at that point, ADP catcher-wise. He finished fourth or fifth, and this is Wilson Ramos of the Tampa Bay Rays. I was huge on him coming into the season, a healthy Wilson Ramos. And he's injured again now, of course, as I say this, but he's hitting 297 with 14 homers, and uh, hopefully he might be traded here pretty soon a contender. But the bat's legit, and I think he is a phenomenal guy that you got into value, at least depending if you drafted earlier or later in the draft season. Let's talk first base. Who you got on the fantasy all-star edition? Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't pick Jesus Aguilar here. Um, <laughs> this goes to show that if you dig deep enough, you can usually find hints of this stuff, though. Um, you know, I, I tweeted out earlier in the week. Um, I, I, I posted in December. I posted in January um, that, you know, I liked Eric Thames a lot, but Jesus Aguilar was very interesting because if you looked at hard-hit fly balls – he was second in Major League Baseball last year, sandwiched between J.D. Martinez and Paul Goldschmidt. So good, good company. You could have you, and, and that's why you need to do your digging in the offseason because the second you saw him start to get the playing time, you could have jumped right on it if you had that knowledge. Where this guy has the potential to completely go off, and he has. Yep, I am 100% with you. Jesus was my guy. Um, I didn't draft him because of the playing time issue, but the second it was available, I picked him up in a lot of locations. And I got him cheap because people were still kind of hesitant at the early going there. And now they're probably not happy. For once, it worked in my favor. Let's just put it that way. It doesn't always work out that way, but this one did. And, um, yeah, you can't not say him. He's a legit MVP candidate right now, and he wasn't drafted in the majority of leagues you're in. Let's talk second base where there is a lot of options here. Who you got? Yeah, I took Scooter Jeanette. Uh, pre-draft price over pick 200. He's built on last year's breakout, and he's turned into one of the best hitters in the game with a rare combination of both power and elite batting average. To me, this is Daniel Murphy 2.0 in a better ballpark. Um, and, you know, he's one of the biggest values. Uh, yeah, I love Scooter, and you got him at a tremendous value. Like you said, that's a great call. Jose Ramirez is the chalk, and he's earned. He's already has 29 homers and 20 steals and 70 ribbies and 68 run scores. That is insane. But I, I went with the value angle as well. I didn't want to not mention him, but Javi Baez, uh, he could be second base or shortstop. Depends on where you have him. This is my shortstop. Okay, and that's fine. That's why I said it could be either or. And I went here, you know, hitting 292 with 19 homers, 18 steals. I talked about him on my other baseball show I do. I I take the L on Javi Baez. I thought there was no chance in hell this guy would be what he is now. And a lot of it had to do with I didn't think he'd run. The fact he's running, and then the, I, I knew he had power, but not this kind of power. What he's doing this year is insane, and I tip my cap, and I apologize. I was completely wrong on this guy. He is great to watch when it comes just to baseball in general. It's not a fantasy angle to it. 
But when it comes to fantasy baseball, he is as legit as it goes. He hits all through the order. He's like a Joe Madden's best toy. It doesn't it depends on the day where he hits, but he runs. He plays great defense, which will always keep him in the lineup. That's why he's eligible and all over the diamond. Uh, Javi Baez, you were getting him late, like late, late middle infield type options, not even second or shortstop, late in your drafts. So, yeah, that's my guy. So your star stops, Javi Baez. What do you got on him? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to take my medicine too, but I will say this. Going forward, I'm not fully sold. Oh, I would sell him in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, because he's got a chase rate that is at a league-leading level. Um, and I, I just could see him go in the way of, you know, the Jonathan Scopes of the world, um, where the strikeouts come, the contact suffers, and the Babbitt doesn't save him. Um, now, you know, did I probably underestimate him coming into the year? Definitely. Uh but I would, I would absolutely consider selling him at this point because with those sort of contact skills, the floor is very, very low. Um, and it might not come in the second half this year, but specifically in Dynasty and Keeper Leagues, I think this is your best shot this offseason to sell this guy for a mint and avoid that disaster scenario because I think if he doesn't change, it's going to come. Yeah, and even if he continues to do great going forward, even in dynasties, the return you'll get for him now could still be that much better. So it's just one of those type of deals. Um, my shortstop is another guy I didn't want anything to do with, but he's proven me wrong. And he's done most of it in Coors Field. But uh, Trevor Story, 20 homers, 12 stall bases. And he's hitting 292, and that might be the most surprising part to me at all. I thought he would never be a batting average guy, and it could be a fluky, fluky mess. Babbitt is pretty – Pretty helpful for him right now. And, again, most of his power has come at home. But the steals is legit, and he's flashing the leather up the middle, which will keep him on the diamond. It'll keep Brandon Rogers at bay for a little bit longer. So Trevor Story's my shortstop so far, which is pretty pretty surprised by what he's put out there. Who do you got at third base? Uh, Eugenio Suarez. Uh, he's gotten better year after year. Uh, this year he's taken a wholesale leap forward with skills that match the production. Um, I saw a tweet earlier today, and I forget who it was, so forgive me, whoever you are, but it was that, oh, it was C. Trent Rosencrantz uh, from The Athletic, uh, that Eugenio Suarez over the last, uh, you know, season and a half is actually the exact equal to Manny Machado yeah. in terms of triple slash and age. Um, he's third in Major League Baseball in RBI despite missing two and a half weeks with a broken thumb. Uh, he's in the lineup with Fado and Jeanette, uh, run production of plenty, and he was as cheap as could be on draft day. Yeah, I love that call quite a bit. Um, if I wasn't looking at value, I'd go Alex Bregman here, but I'm going to go value-wise. Nicholas Castellanos, always underappreciated in my mind, hitting 305, 15 dingers on the year in a horrible lineup in a okay ballpark to hit in, and he just continues to rake night in and night out. When you look at – the overall peripherals when it comes to hard contact, line drive rate, fly ball rate, one of the best in baseball. And he did it all last year, and he's done it again this year. So Nick Castellanos will be my third baseman. Who are your three outfielders you're looking at? All right. Uh, first, I went with Max Muncy. I'm sure you were wondering where he was going to show up, but okay. given the eligibility, this is just where he fell. Um, the power has been amazing. He's got – an elite approach in terms of his plate discipline. 
Um, I'm a, I'm a big buyer. I own him in multiple spots and, uh, you know, I've benefited from him. Uh, second, Nick Markakis. Uh, I think this one is one that everyone sort of summarily dismissed, but you got to give the devil his due. He's maintained an elite batting average. He's brought the power up to a usable level. And in that lineup, the run production has been great and may get even better um, if they decide to be buyers at the deadline. Uh, so I, while I don't think he's going to be this good in the second half, I think you certainly have to give him the credit. Um, and then third, I've got Mitch Hanniger, uh, everyone's favorite sleeper a year later. Mitch has been outstanding, showing pop, a little bit of speed, respectable batting average, and driving in runs at an impressive clip. He's got 67 on the year. I really believe in him. I, I do not think he's going to slow down. I do not think this is Nick Marcakis or Javi Baez. I think legitimately he's a 270, 275 hitter with 30 homer pop, 10 steal ability, and provided health. Um, I think the profile is sustainable. Yep, I agree. I have Mitch Haniger, and I agree with everything you said there. Same with Nick Marcakis. Have those two for sure. And then my third one is Eddie Rosario, a guy that kept getting overlooked over and over again. The power is legit, folks. Like he did it last year in the second half of the season. And he started out again, another 19 homers already hitting 311. So the average is there, the power is there. Driving in runs, he's even got six steals. So, you know, he's like a 30 to 35 homer guy with 10 plus steal ability year in and year out. And uh, people keep forgetting that target field, once the it stops snowing in the springtime, it's actually a pretty decent hitter's ballpark. So Eddie Rosario would be my third outfielder with Marcakis and Hanniger. And then I have Muncie as my util. So who's your util? Jose Ramirez. I felt like I had to throw one yeah, that's in what I said there. Earlier. For, you got to throw him in there. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a guy that didn't think that the power was going to replicate at the level that it did last year. And he's already there. So no, dead he, wrong. he's been amazing. He's yeah. been amazing. He's been, and, he's been absolutely outstanding. And I'll admit, I thought he was going too high in drafts after one year and yeah, he'll go even higher next year. And I think I'll have to buy from now on. Um, who are your starting pitchers? The three starting pitchers. Okay. Trevor Bauer first. Uh, you know, I said it recently on the FWO pod and I know I'm not the only one. I always thought there was more to Bauer. Um, even when he was putting up perennial 4.5 ERA seasons, um, he started to put it together last year. He took a leap forward again this year. Um, I think we've, we're witnessing the birth of the, of, of a new ace, um, Carol were pitcher. I, I think that, there's no doubt about it at this point. The skills are um, excellent, and he's got a you know, knock on wood, a rubber arm. Um, so I, I think he's going to be very good going forward. Uh, second, Patrick Corbin, and I almost wanted to name him twice because um, he's a pitcher that was very affordable, um, was excellent through the months of April, and I think about halfway through May. Uh, then he saw his velocity decrease, and this is why I sort of wanted to name him twice because he's been – still been excellent since the velocity has gone down and there was a lot of panic um, in the industry about Patrick Corbin. Um, the swing and miss has maintained uh, and, and I expect it to continue going forward, provided health. Um, and I think at this point, you just got to just shrug your shoulders about the velocity and just um, take the, take the good results with, you know, as they are rather than try and explain them away. Um, and then third, I have Ross Stripling, who, of course, is the uh, complete out-of-nowhere candidate. Um, you know, great strikeout rate, great control. Um, the homers have started to come back a little bit, and I think those will always be an issue. 
but I think the control is so good that the whip will that the that the that the base runners won't be there for the homers to hurt him, and he will post an, a pretty elite whip as well. As well, I view him sort of as like a top thirty-ish starting pitcher going forward. Yeah, there's some great calls. I'm a big Trevor Bauer guy, so I like that one quite a bit. I did take one chalk here uh, as my first one is Max Scherzer. I just he continues to. I, I had him as my number one over Kershaw and Kluber and the rest, and he's been just so damn good this year. So uh, there's not much yet to say about Max Scherzer that people don't already know. He's that that good but other than that um Aaron Nola is a guy I was really really high on this year he started climbing up as more people talked about him but he's been he's led led the hype if it wasn't for Scherzer he might be towards the top of your NL Cy Young uh rankings and you're getting him as like a what SP 15 to 20 range somewhere around there in draft mm-hmm. season so I, I like me some Aaron Nola as he's, he's definitely climbed up the list there as a top five uh, fantasy starting pitcher at least this season and my third one, and he got snubbed but got in thanks to an injury, is Mr. Snell that Snell, Blake Snell. He's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, people last year were giving up hope on him, and he did some things in the minors, and he looked good in his last you know month or two, and he has carried that over this year. The walks are just dropping dramatically. The Ks are there. He has been outstanding. He's looked every bit the prospect he once was, and the pedigree is finally shining through. So those are the three guys. I have, but when it comes to starting pitchers, you can go for days on options there. Give me a relief pitcher. Yeah, it's going to be a guy we've already touched on, Blake Trinan. Um, yeah. I think that he's the the one that has really risen up this year um, to an elite level. Um, I liked him a lot. I've got a lot of shares of him. Um, you know, he's got that outstanding ground ball rate. Um, the, the command, I think, has taken a step forward this year. And he's Mr. Pitching, pitching gif. I mean, every single yeah. time you're on Twitter, there's a, there's a there's a gif of, of that sinker or or that slider. He is he is fantastic to watch, and I think that he is going to be a leap going forward. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. He's my guy as well. Um, he last year I got lucky. I said Colomay was my late round closer to target, and he paid off. I wanted nothing to do with him this year, and it worked out. And Trinan was my guy this year. Knock on wood, so far so good. And it, it, it's stuff is just filthy. I remember it was last Friday night. The Giants were playing the, the A's lately, and I'm watching the ninth inning in bed. And my wife's reading, and I'm like, "Oh, the game's over." And she wonders why. I said, "This guy's filthy." And well, just watch him pitch. And I'm like, I, I'm like pointing out, I'm like, okay, fastball here. He's going to throw the slider here. And she's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, just watch. And, he, and she's like, "Well, he swung at that like he didn't know what he was doing." I'm like, "That's how filthy he is." Yes. Like, this, is this is what he, I'm like, like you know it's coming and you're not going to hit it. That's no. just that's just how it's like it's like the old uh it's like Bull Durham. He hit that like you knew it was coming. Well, I told him what you're gonna throw, meat. Um yeah, you, you can tell them what Trident is throwing and it will not matter one second. So yeah, it's like it's like a wiffle ball. It's yeah, it's filthy. Absolutely filthy. The only the only thing and I, I hate saying this because it's like the jinx, he throws that nasty stuff so much, please no one ever hurt his elbow, please. That's all I ask for. It's like the scary thing. Yeah. It's like, but you, you just, in the world we live in these days, I'm just waiting for that next breaking news. So-and-so's got one. It's like, God. Yeah, I know. But, um, that's the only terrifying thing because we see more and more guys throwing the off-speed pitches these days, and they're with great success, so you, it's going to continue to happen. And I talked to Doug Thorburn a couple episodes back, and big pitching guru, and he mentioned there's the proper way and the non-proper way to throw it that will not damage your elbow. Obviously, not all the guys are doing that. Well, yeah, and Doug, didn't Doug also mention that that the velocity has a lot to do with it? 
Yes. Yeah. There's like, you know, they teach you when you're a kid, you uh, throw it like you're doing a handshake, but then you can also, it involves your shoulder and all kinds of other aspects about it. And then how fast you throw it. Cause if you're letting up, it might actually hurt you more because it's, you know, your body's not doing its full. Well, there's a whole, he's way better at saying it than I am. As you can yes. <laughs> he's got the whole thing. And I remember I was just sitting there just like, wow. Well, I, I, you can tell I, I listened to the episode because that, that was what I took from it, that the velocity is the issue. Yeah, no, <laughs> That's it, all yeah. I got. <laughs> yeah, he's got so much going on there. But, uh, Pat, this was awesome, man. I could sit here and talk to you for hours when it comes to baseball. Uh, any final thoughts or what do you got coming up for fan tracks with uh, when's your next podcast? Well, we just put one out. Uh, the, the two guys I record with, Nick and Joe, put one out yesterday. Uh, it was a very entertaining listen. Uh, I highly recommend you check it out. And, uh, you know, we usually record Tuesdays or Wednesday nights, and then we're usually up on Wednesday or Thursday. So, I mean, come check us out. Uh, fun show just like this, you know, sitting back, talking baseball for about two hours every week. Um, you know, and, you know, hopefully you guys will come check us out. Yeah, go check them out and go check out everything Fantrax is doing, like you said earlier. Uh, a lot of the guys from Fantrax have been on the show already. They have a phenomenal thing going over there, not just baseball. They're getting you ready for football already and still keeping it going in baseball. So tons going on over there at Fantrax.com, Fantrax HQ, all that good stuff they have going on. But, um, Pat, thanks for joining me, man. Uh, check him out on Twitter at PatrickFWO. Yeah, thanks so much thanks. for having me again. Thanks. Everybody, this is Ben with Bubba, episode 107. Catch you guys next time.